You're listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Join us as we learn from successful firefighters and fire service leaders on how to achieve excellence. When lives depend on us, success is our only option. Hey everyone, I'm so grateful to have you back for another episode of the Firefighter Success Podcast. I'm your host and author of Firefighter Success, Jim Moss. Tiger Schmittendorf is Vice President of Strategic Recruitment and Retention Services for First Arriving, a full-service marketing team supporting the public safety community. He served the Erie County Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Services in Buffalo, New York for more than 20 years before retiring as Deputy Fire Coordinator in 2018. There, he was responsible for the recruitment, training, and operations of the county's 97 fire departments and 6,000 plus firefighters. Chief Schmittendorf is the author of the ever popular From the Xbox to the Box Alarm, connecting today's firefighters and Call to Duty, a recruiter boot camp. And he created the recruitment effort that doubled his own fire department's membership and helped net thousands of new volunteers countywide. A frequent presenter on leadership, incident management, connecting generations and organizational forensics. He is a nationally certified fire instructor and has served as a firefighter chief officer and emergency manager since 1980. Chief Tiger Schmidtendorf, welcome to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Thank you so much, Jim Moss. It's great to be with you. And uh, let me be first to say congratulations on the release of your new book. Oh, thanks. Uh, Thanks for your endorsement in the book. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. So let's get rolling. Does that sound good? Absolutely. All right. So you've been in the fire service a long time, right? And now you're happily retired from it, but I know you're staying plenty busy. (laughs) But you've seen a lot of firefighters come and go. How do you define success in the fire service? And what are the essential qualities you have seen in successful firefighters? Well, I guess I would I would first define success as surviving it in the first place, um, yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, it starts with that, and 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 that means survival on so many levels. You know, certainly the physical survival of it, uh, the wear and tear of the job, the the dangers that firefighters face, and um, you know the risks that they take and the situations that they find them in. It's it's, it's a harsh reality. Um, certainly over time, that can also take a toll on our you know, our physical bodies, um, which, uh, you know, can have an impact on our, our future as well. But uh, certainly the, um, you know, mental and psychological impacts of what we do uh, and our interactions with those who we do it for uh, can have a lasting impact on us as well. So, um, you know, to a firefighter coming into the fire service today, um you know, probably one of the things I say often is you can, it's easy to tell the difference between those who it's in their blood and those who it's not. Um, but it's also like anything that can get in your blood. It can hurt you. It can harm you. And unfortunately, as we're seeing so much in the fire service today, um, it can kill you as well. And um, so having the right attitude towards it, uh, being realistic about it, um, never losing sight of why we're doing what we're doing and who we're doing it for. Um, but also that obligation to those people who allow us to do it um, needs to always be at the forefront. And most importantly, have fun. Because it's if it stops being fun, um, that's time to take it in a different direction. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more. And I love the fact that you brought up 
the attitude aspect of it, the mindset aspect of it, because so many times uh, there are firefighters or aspiring firefighters who want to get into this job, you know, for the glory, for um, the cool calls, and also mm-hmm. for maybe uh, if they're a career firefighter, you know, going and working nine to 11 days a month, and then, you know, maybe having a nice little part-time gig that they do and everything. And, and like you said, they don't think about what's most important, and that's really serving others. And that's what it all comes back to. And there's going to be times, <laughs> there's going to be times in our career where the last thing we want to do is get, is get bunked out again, or go on another call because we've been running all night and it's, you know, maybe our fifth or sixth call of the night, which, which can happen. Um, and then we need to really go back to, you know, why did I sign up for this job? It's really to serve others and, and, and help others. And I'm going to bring up a great quote that uh, you shared with me. I've heard you say before in the past, but that'll be later on in the podcast uh, and we can tackle that later. Let's talk a little bit about leadership. Uh, so I've heard you use the term leadership landmines in your classes and I love it. Uh, so tell the listeners what you mean by it and how current leaders and aspiring leaders can avoid those landmines. Well, it starts with number one, thinking that any of this is about us right? Anything of anything about this is about me personally. And uh, that's probably the first landmine that quite honestly is the, is the easiest one to, to either plant or trip over. And, um, uh, you know, when we do trip over those, they, they tend to literally, you know, figuratively blow up in our face. Um, it, it starts with being a servant leader. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I, I, I think I shared with you is, I don't associate, I don't correlate, I don't, um, you know, synchronize the term officer, chief, and leader. Uh, I, I think those are two or three, you know, totally separate terms. Um, when people talk about poor leaders, I don't even believe in that that theory or that that term. I don't think there is such a thing as a poor leader. So you're either a leader or you're not. Right. So it, it starts with, it starts with that. And, um, you know, there's so many other landmines about, uh, again, becoming insular and thinking it's about you. Um, and, you know, um, it, there's that balancing act between having an open door policy and uh, closing the door long enough to get done what you need to do most often on behalf of the people that you serve with, you know, and serve. Um, so, uh, there, there's definitely, you have to, you have to strike that balance. Um, you know, the traditional, uh, transition from buddy to boss is always, you know, difficult for some. Um, and then there's the other part of it too, that, um, uh, so often, uh, in the fire service, we think because somebody is a great firefighter that they would make a great officer. And again, those are two totally different uh, objectives. There are two to- totally different skill sets. You know, um, firefighters, rescuers, uh, you know, uh, street EMS personnel. Those are those are technician level um, uh, abilities and and uh, skill sets. Uh, being a chief, being an officer, and being a leader are just take different skill sets. So. Um, it's interesting. I had the opportunity to um, sit on a, a national panel for the National Volunteer Fire Council a couple of years ago in Arlington, Virginia, and um, it was on uh, just a short, simple little subject 
titled The Sustainability of the Volunteer Fire Service in the United States. Just a quick five minute conversation, we can solve everything, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, as soon as it started, somebody stood up in the back of the room and they pointed at me and they asked me, what is the number one challenge of fire service leadership today? And it was almost, I don't know if they're trying to catch me off guard or, or uh, uh, call me out or what, I don't know, but uh, I kind of chuckled and I paused and I said, that's easy. I said, getting to know your people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because until we get to know our people, we're not going to know their needs, their wants, their goals, uh, their objectives, and also what challenges do they face in their lives uh, that is inhibiting their ability to serve to the level that they want to serve. That's where it starts. Um, and then we compare about we compare that to are they serving to the level that we want them to serve. Um, but until we truly get to know our people, we'll never know that. And until we know their true needs and wants and their challenges and maybe even some hidden talents, um, we will never be able to maximize their satisfaction. And therefore, we will never be able to maximize their contributions to our organization. So um, remembering that it's not about you and uh, it's about those you serve and serve with uh, is probably the the most important uh, way that you can uh, step over those landmines which, without stepping on them. Uh, so many great points that you brought up, and I want to I want to circle back around and, and talk a little bit more about those. Uh, one of the things you said that making that transition from buddy to boss, right, and and making mm-hmm. sure that you're not completely being buddy buddy, uh, but you're not being overbearing as a boss as well, and it really ties into what you said about knowing your people, right? Building those relationships Mm -hmm. is where we're also going to build connection. We're going to build trust. We're going to build rapport um, because we all know that if uh, a follower does not trust their leader, then they're not going to respect them. They're not going to follow them completely. They're going to question them. uh, And it's really going to be one of those, uh, everybody's going to be stepping on landmines (laughs) to quote you. Right. Um, So I I, I think for me, when I first made Lieutenant, that was one of my downfalls is that I was aiming to be buddy, buddy, and to please everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can't do that. I love, I love that quote that we've all heard. (laughs) If you want to please everyone in leadership, you know, uh, leadership is not for you. Go sell ice cream. And then there's still going to be someone that complains about the ice (laughs) cream. So you're, you're not going to please everybody. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I think I had to learn that the hard way, um, because I was a younger Lieutenant, uh, had seven years on the job. I was trying to please everyone on my crew and be buddy, buddy. When, I probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, more so, I should have, you know, tried to build those relationships specifically, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, and, and start to build that trust, that credibility, um, instead of trying to be so buddy buddy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, it's one of those things. If we focus on our people, um, if we take care of our people, they'll take care of the people we serve, right? Right. So. Um, you know, if we better our people, they'll better our organization. So it's, uh, but it really takes the time and effort and energy to truly, um, get to know them. And that's just, uh, you know, I, I, and it's no easy task either. And I, and I think part of it too, something I, I think of often and, and my experience as a young officer. And I remember when I promoted from lieutenant to captain and, and my volunteer fire department, and I went to a, 
uh, my mentor, uh, the guy that has been driving me to fire calls since I was 14 years old, uh, and he still is today, and that's something I cherish every day, the, the, the opportunity to do that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I told him, I said, I, I don't think I'm ready for captain. And uh, he, you know, he assured me, he said, you're more than ready and you've been ready for some time. And it's, <laughs> that's great. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, we refer to the, you know, officer development continuum or the leadership continuum. Um, I refer to that as the, you know, officer development conundrum. <laughs> um, because w- once you get into a spot, you know, you immediately, most people start the process of looking towards the next spot, right? Looking towards advancement. Um, at the same time, they have to learn the job that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, as much as it kind of flies in the face of uh, good logic, but nobody is 100% prepared for that for that next seat until they're in the seat, right? Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, there's no more glaring example of that is the difference between assistant chief and chief. You know, you may perform all of the same functions, you may do it in the absence of the chief, so on and so forth. But until you're in the seat, uh, you just, you don't, you don't bear the full weight of it. So, um, you know, for that, that uh, firefighter to lieutenant or whatever the first uh, step is in the advancement process, um, most people you know, talk about leadership landmines, they charge ahead and say, okay, what can I do to get to the captain spot? Um, and they don't take the time and the energy to focus on the spot that they're in to truly know it, to master it. Um, and at the same time, they're leaving behind those who, you know, yesterday they were serving alongside, but now they're, um, you know, serving with and, and also responsible for, and they're not focusing on those folks. And so many people get left behind. And that's why I kind of refer to it as a conundrum as opposed to, um, you know, the uh, uh, a continuum because it's, it, it puts them in maybe an impossible position of being um, in the future, in the present, and in the past all at the same time. Wow, that's some great stuff. Um, and one of the things that you brought to mind while you were talking about that is that it's a lot easier for the the backstep firefighter, you know, to sit in back to watch the officer do their thing, and the backstep firefighter, if you, they have some years on the job, they feel like they may know it all, or that you know, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is easy, I could do his job, and then once <laughs> once they ride up or they get placed in that position as a new lieutenant or a new captain, they're like, oh, everything falls on me. Yeah. Um, and, it's not what I expected it to be. It's a lot more. And the weight of that responsibility can be really eye-opening uh, for some firefighters. And it's not as easy as they thought it was. But like you said, I completely agree with you. We have to be focused on being great firefighters first and mastering that position before we can even think about moving on to the next position. And will we, will we all be perfect at the firefighter position? No, but we need to be a very solid fundamentally sound firefighter uh, when we're in that position before we ever think about moving up to the next level. Absolutely. And, and that, that has to be a continual learning process as well. And, and um, an article I refer back to often is um, it literally hung on the uh, bulletin board in my fire academy office for over 20 years, uh, written by the great uh, Dr. Harry Carter mm-hmm. uh, for Firehouse Magazine. And it's titled, Are You a Good Follower? And, um, 
in it, uh, Harry uses the example, and this may be of zero relevance to some of the listeners, but um, uses the, um, you know, the anecdote of the mutiny on the bounty mm -hmm. and um, talks about before you should even conceive the thought of wanting to be or seeking to be a good leader, you must first learn to be a good follower. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't care if, if, if you're in the top spot of your organization, you still need to be and should be following someone else, some other entity uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a higher power, so to speak. And, uh, you know, the highest power of God, certainly uh, to, uh, uh, you know, keep you safe and on an even keel. But, uh, you know, as a chief of a department, uh, you're still answering to a um, municipality, you're answering to, you know, uh, some other chief administrator or uh, the people. So you need to learn to be a good follower first. Amen. Amen. Well said. Yeah. So let's talk about recruitment and retention. I know you're very passionate about that. Uh, let's uh, talk about it, particularly for the volunteer side of the fire service. So I love this quote of yours. You, you've said, the organization that focuses only on whether its members are meeting the needs of the organization, but ignores whether the organization is meeting the needs of its people is destined for failure, obsolescence, or extinction. So here's my question for you. What are some of the biggest challenges that fire departments are facing when it comes to recruiting new firefighters, or have I have heard you say weapons of membership destruction? Yes, and I do use it, those terms often. Um, you know, over, I've been in the fire service for now 40 years. I've specifically been in the uh, volunteer fire and EMS recruitment business for 30 years. And, uh, uh, you know, just in my own department at the county level and now on, you know, the national level that I've been blessed to be a part of. But um, I actually do kind of a part of my recruitment boot, recruiter boot camp and or as a standalone class. I talk about this retention cliff concept. Um, where if you think about the traditional tra trajectory of a volunteer firefighter, they come in the door knowing little to nothing. Um, you know, they get a little bit of training, uh, they get some experience. Uh, and when they have some training and experience, we give them more responsibility and we keep piling on the responsibility and hopefully they're getting more training and more experience and they get up to, you know, the, um, the top of the cliff. And in the volunteer fire service, traditionally what has happened is as soon as their participation, whether it's in training, responses, meetings, whatever the case may be, all the other obligations they have, um, as soon as that starts to trail off, we haven't gone to them and said, hey, you know, again, what are those, what are those obstacles or roadblocks that are preventing you from serving to the level you want to serve? Uh, the traditional MO of the, of the volunteer fire service in so many settings has been you know, get them to the edge of the cliff and either allow them to slip off, fall off, or some people jump off. And in too many instances, we simply give them a swift boot in the backside and push them over the cliff. Mm. And uh, you'll find this interesting because in my class, I tried to figure out ways to kind of relate it to the to firefighters on a level they would understand. So I actually mocked up um, uh, squares or screens 
utilizing the relationship between Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So you can visualize Wiley e. Coyote getting to the top of the top of that cliff, and what does Roadrunner do to him? Beep beep, right? And <laughs> over the cliff he goes. So there he goes, right? You know, and and not only do we sometimes push him over the cliff, but we throw the Acme Anvil on top of him too, just to make sure they stay down. <laughs> uh, but um, the harsh reality of that is the body count at the bottom of that cliff um, is significant, and it's an enormous waste of human resources. And I just I went through this exercise with my own um, the chiefs in my department just the other evening, and I said. You know, um, when somebody gets to that point, but something else is going on in their life, in their life that, that causes their participation to wane for a, a period of time, do they immediately forget every single thing that they've learned in the volunteer fire service? Do, does their value go from 100 to zero, you know, immediately? Mm-hmm. Um, if we push them over that cliff, it definitely will. And what an enormous waste of human resources when we do that. And, you know, to their, I guess, credit or discredit, uh, traditionally in the volunteer fire service, they were able to get away with that, to create that kind of revolving door situation, because the front end of the pipeline was always full with new volunteers. Well, as I say now today, you know, having been in this for some time, whether you're flush with volunteers or you've managed to flush your volunteers, we can no longer afford to take our foot off the gas of feeding the front end of the pipeline. And uh, because that's no longer, you know, a wide funnel uh, to, for some people, it's just kind of dripping in. And for others that that pipeline is dry. So um, we can no longer afford to do that. So how do we overcome these, some of these weapons of mass uh, membership destruction um, you know, we have to figure out a way to build a rope bridge to the other side. And, and, and it gets into a bigger conversation that I, I'll just touch on and not get into too deeply, but it, it, it directly correlates to how I break down the, the age demographics of the volunteer fire service. And I refer to 14 to 17, typically the explorers, the junior firefighters, the cadets as the future. Um, 18 to 25 is the backbone of the fire service. You know, it's still a young person's physical job. Uh, they're best suited for it. 40 plus I refer to as the knowledge base or the experience base. Um, but what do you think I call the age range between 25 and 40? What's that? The lost years. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. So think about it in your own life and you're, 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 uh, you know, you're probably in the midst of that yourself. So, uh, that's, you know, what happens during that time. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, they get, they may get married, they start a family, home ownership, um, hopefully or theoretically kind of transitioning from having a job to what's starting to morph into a career, you know, uh, just overarching a time of significant personal and professional development, right? And uh, so right smack dab in the middle of that, you know, hits this, um, hits all these external factors that affect their ability to volunteer. And mm-hmm. like I said, traditionally the MO has been get them to the edge of the cliff and help them to, you know, the bottom uh, in one form or another. And, and we can no longer afford to do that. We need, need to figure out ways to uh, be flexible with them to, again, kind of referring back to the quote you shared a little bit ago, 
is focusing on are we meeting the needs, their needs as much as, um, you know, how can we help them then meet the needs of the organization? Yeah, focus on the pe- people first, their needs, and, and they'll reward the, the organization in the long run. So how does how does poor leadership um, uh, and, and maybe you can rephrase that for me because you, as you said before, there's no such thing as a poor leader or a bad leader, right? They're not a leader if that's the case. Right. But but how does poor fire department leadership or uh, affect recruitment and retention efforts? Uh, on so many levels, there's chiefs and officers who live in a bubble uh, who don't think that. Uh, you know, that they have a recruitment problem. Um, There are others who, you know, have no interest in bringing new people into the organization because that's just more people for them to, you know, take care of or most often not take care of. Um, They they tend to um, think that the people serve them instead of uh, the other way around. And that's, that's, that's a um, you know aha moment for a lot of people, uh, and uh, so they affect everything. And and even just you know if I work with so many departments who at the grassroots level, at the street level, they know what the challenges are, they know that they have to address them, but they get no support from leadership, and they get no no buy-in. You know, some of them may get lip service, yeah, 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 but you know, mm-hmm. when there's no budget for it, when there's no emphasis on it, and then when the leaders are doing nothing, you know, they're more focused on, um, you know, trying to get the people who fail to meet the expectations out of the organization than they are on trying to help people beat those expectations and still fit volunteering into their life um, so that they, you know, can um, extend their longevity. And it's, I refer to, you know, I referred to use the term earlier, the officer or leadership development uh, continuum. Um, overall, uh, I use a term and a map out uh, a volunteer life cycle. And that uh, from the moment of inquiry to the moment of them raising the right hand, the onboarding process into retention and then exiting in the organization in whatever form that comes. Um, how can we extend that? volunteer life cycle to maximize, you know, the number of volunteers we have, the quality of the volunteers that we have, and also, um, you know, for the good of the organization. Uh, When we have to, when somebody exits our, you know, volunteer fire department, again, that's an enormous or maybe less, a little less than that significant loss of experience and time and energy and human resources that they've invested and that we've also invested in that in them. So, um, you know, there's also some people in officer positions who should be leaders, but they're stuck on, you know, beatings will continue until morale improves. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. Or, um, you know, they're also in the, in the old paradigm, knowledge is power. And as long as I hold the knowledge, I hold the power over you. Right. It, it seems like, you know, bad leadership creates so many problems and good leadership uh, will, will solve so many problems. So, you know, yep. we as leaders need to definitely choose the path we're taking. Uh, one of the things that you touched on was the generations or, or age breakdowns. 
of, of volunteers uh, coming into the volunteer fire service or serving within the volunteer fire service. And uh, I love that that is one of your passions is, is bringing generations of firefighters together. Um, so what are the biggest challenges you see with the generational differences uh, in the fire service as a whole? And how can leaders um, within these fire departments minimize or bring these different generations of firefighters all together? Well, it's, it's first and foremost, and I tell people, if you remember absolutely nothing else from my Xbox conversation, uh, remember this one thing, and that is the greatest expectation of today's generation of firefighters is to be given clear expectations. That's great. I love that. Okay. I'll say it, I'll say it again. The greatest expectation of this generation is to be given clear expectations. And so many times when they fail to meet the needs of the organization or the expectations of those in leadership positions, it is most often because we have failed miserably to give them clear direction and clear expectations. And, um, you know, the, the harsh or good reality, however you want to look at it, depending on your attitude towards them, is um, yes, they do need frequent and positive reinforcement of those expectations, but it starts with, um, and again, dealing specifically with the volunteer fire service, but, but in the career side as well, um, does it, is there a, you know, job specification that outlines not only the tactical or technical or technician level expectations, you know, the, the physical skill sets, but, um, I'm really big on, um, you know, does it identify the characteristics, traits, and attributes we're looking at for today's firefighters, the, the value set, so to speak. Um, and we, that's where it needs to start with being clear. And in the volunteer fire service, and quite frankly, in the hiring process and the, in the, um, you know, paid side of the house, although certainly they have larger constraints probably in this regard is, um, identifying or figuring out ways to identify, um, is this person not only capable of being, performing the skill sets necessary of the jobs that we do, but more importantly, I think, are they capable of being the right fit for our fire service family? Right. And because when somebody raises their right hand and in a, in a volunteer fire department, which is most so often a membership corporation, you know, we're actually accepting them into our corporation as equal shareholders, so to speak. Um, we're doing so much more than that. We're saying we want, we're inviting you to join our fire service family. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced, um, you know, that we can teach a monkey to pull a bale back on a nozzle and get water out of it, right? <laughs> um, and I have living proof of that because even I am fairly adept at this point in my career that I can pull a bale back and a house and get water out. <laughs> if, if Tiger so. can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> exactly. I am living proof of that theory. <laughs> and, um, but can we, can we train everyone to be a respecting, respectful, um, uh, loyal, um, contributing member of our fire service family? And, and I think that's a tougher question to answer. And, and I don't think that everybody is well suited for that. Um, so those are some of the things that we need to uh, identify um, in our new firefighters, which are most often in you know, a younger uh, uh, age set. But so it starts with, 
having clear expectations in our job specifications and how we market to them uh, on so many different levels. Um, they want to see a training path. They want to see a education path. Um, and what may scare some of us who are currently in some of those officer positions, they also want to see a path to advancement. So true. So, so many times when we talk about generational differences and bridging the gap, uh, especially within fire service, we kind of put the onus or the focus on the uh, older firefighters or the leaders in the organization coming to meet the younger generation, right? But what, what responsibility does the younger generation coming into the fire service have in meeting everyone in the middle, right? Meeting yep. the older generation in the middle with, with their differences. Well, it starts with respect. And, um, you know, certainly I believe that respect is earned. It's not just owed, um, but it has to start with a baseline of respect, mutual respect for each other. And probably the biggest hurdle to overcome on both sides is having respect for the fact that I can teach this other person something and I can actually learn something from this other person. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the baseline. And um, so there has to be a willingness to learn on both sides and there has to be a willingness to teach as well. And uh, that's where a lot of the folks in my generation get bogged down with that. And because, you know, uh, you know, one of the common things that I hear as feedback from my generation about this, today's generation is they need to have their hands held, right? Um, I'm like, okay, so how long have you known that? <laughs> and they're like, well, a while. I said, so what's the answer? Uh, hold their hand, right? <laughs> so lead them, lead them. Lead, lead exactly that exactly that and uh you know you can either uh, you know ignore that reality or you can uh, you know pass it off on somebody else you know some of us have the attitude that uh, you know what i raised my kids i don't care to raise somebody else's but that's really what mentoring and coaching is right so uh, you, when you signed up to be an officer, you said, I will take on the responsibility of the lives of others. It didn't say just the physical part, right? So it said the, it said the whole person I am responsible for. And I think that's something that needs to be, um, you know, reinforced and reminded of today's fire officers, um, that they need to be the whole person, but they need to take responsibility for the whole person as well. So, um you know, so many people in those officer positions see new people today as a threat instead of as an ally and how we can learn from each other. Um, you know, and certainly so it's, it's uh, you know, mutual respect, it's willingness to learn, willingness to teach, and then it's really open communications. And, um, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I give to the um, I would never say older, but more seasoned firefighters in my Xbox class um, is if you say that you don't know them, if you don't understand them, and in certain cases, you don't even like them, practice what I preach, and that is, uh, and also what I practice, and that is surround yourself with them, yes. spend time with them. And uh, this is something that came up in my discussion with our chiefs the other evening is, um, 
the conundrum of that, to reuse that term, um, is that quite often the people who need to spend the most time with them due to other life situations, conditions, or positions quite often have the least amount of time to spend with them. Mm-hmm. So the people that need to spend the most time with them have the least amount of time to do it with. Um, it's something that even when I was, you know, actively working in Homeland Security Emergency Services, I'd have a 12, 14 or longer hour day, but I would purposely stop at the firehouse at 10, 11 o'clock or midnight or later um, to check in with our volunteers who were hanging out at the firehouse at that time. And, and I did that for several reasons. One, to um, remind them that I, you know, I exist and they can take my, my picture off the milk carton now. Um, use, I used it as a means of catching up on what I'd been missing because of, you know, work and other obligations, but I also used it as what I like to call quality time, you know, the opportunity to share my limited knowledge, my limited experience, but, um, uh, my unlimited passion for the fire service and, you know, the value set that I was brought up and raised in the fire service and in life with, and how do I pass that down to them? So it takes a, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time and energy. I won't lie that it can be exhausting. But um, um, as I say with anything else in my life, the only thing I know for sure 100% is what the outcomes will continue to be if I don't try. Yeah, we've got to try, you know, we got to push forward. And if we lose, or if we, you know, lose some ground or make some mistakes, that's okay. We'll, we'll pick it back up and, and keep trying. Right. Uh, so I got I got a couple more questions, and they're geared more more so towards you personally. So uh, not necessarily the fire service. Okay. Uh, but so people can uh, find find more about you personally. So one of the things I love about you is your positivity. You know, I always see you with a smile on your face. Uh, you're always offering an encouraging word to someone. Where does this come from, and how can others get it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, uh, comes first and foremost from my faith in God. Um, I'm, I'm not ashamed to share that. And, uh, <clears throat> that like many people, you know, my, my connection to my faith is, uh, uh, varied as much as it has with my, uh, connection and faith in the fire service, I guess. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Preach it. <laughs> and, right. Right. And, and, and it's funny you say that because I, I, just uh, signed on a year ago to be an elder in my church and very quickly infused some new ideas, created a website and really created branding and marketing and stuff like that. And as I shared with our pastor and others, I said, um, you know, well, the, you know, my experience has shown that um, recruiting for the volunteer fire service and other religions is not that different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Right. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, for some of us in the fire service, it is a religion. And uh, so uh, it starts with that, uh, plain and simply. But uh, it also ties back to um, a phrase that I coined and and repeat often, and that is, um, we're not guaranteed of much in our business, but the opportunity to encounter someone else every single day who's having a much worse day than we are. Yeah. And how are we going to impact them with our attitude, right? And how we treat them. Exactly. And that, that is not a burden, but a gift. And it's called the gift of perspective. So, um, you know, anecdotally, I say, whenever I think I'm having a bad day or my life sucks, um, you know, my pager goes off reminding me that, well, maybe it doesn't quite suck as much as I thought it did. 
Right. Someone needs my help, so I better get on with it. <laughs> Somebody needs my help. Right. Yeah, right. And I, I, I literally feel bad for people who don't get to carry that on their belt or who don't get to you know, sleep in a firehouse and have the bells go off, summoning them to go help someone else. Um, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, recruiting for the fire service. And, uh, um, one of the things that uh, I say about competition for volunteers, if you think about it, we should never, we should have zero competition for the people who are right for what we do. And you know why that is? Go ahead. Cause we get to do, and I'll be say politely stuff. <laughs> there's another S word. There's another S word I usually use. We get to do stuff that nobody, nobody else gets to do in any other volunteering opportunity. Right. Right. And in what other volunteering opportunity can you um, literally knock somebody's door down and they thank you for it? <laughs> exactly. And, and, if you cut a hole in the roof, they'll bake you cookies afterwards. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's that's just the that's just the lowest common denominator of what we get to do. We get to help people and they cherish us for that. And that is such a reward uh, if we use it properly. And we, first of all, respect that relationship um, and uh, the public trust, but also um, to take that to heart and remember that every time, you know, the alarm bell rings or that pager goes off, it's not a burden. It's a gift and they just, they're giving us the gift of going to do what we love. And if you're in the fire and emergency services and you don't love helping other people, um, get out now. Right. Because it's not about you. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And just do us all a favor and do, do the people you're serving a favor and get out now because um, you're not doing it right. And uh, I ask a lot of people, you know, what do you get out of it? And so many people say, well, nothing, you know, I don't ask for anything. I take nothing away from it. Mm. And I call BS on that. I really do. Because if you're not taking something away from it, you know, inside in your heart, um, either you're not going to be very good at it, or you're not certainly not going to survive very long. Yeah. And I think so many times, you know, we run, you know, 80% of our calls might be, okay, that that's, that wasn't really, you know, was the fire department really needed for that call? Right. Eh, probably not. And then there's that 20% of calls that we make a real difference on, right? right. Where our, our services were needed and uh, it should, uh, whether you have one day on the job or 30 years, 40 years on the job, it should those those twenty percent of the call those should make you feel good where you're making a difference and your help was truly truly needed uh, and that you impacted someone's life and if you're not you're not feeling that you don't have that anymore uh, like you said maybe it's time to get out maybe it's uh, definitely for a uh, time for a change of perspective would you agree absolutely and the term I use Jim is it's either time for a boot or hopefully just a reboot. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the reboot for everyone, right? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I want to share, because I think it's important to all of us, I want to share one other thing that kind of gives me that gift of perspective. Um, for the last 10 years, I've uh, had the privilege of serving as the uh, director of the Hero Tribute Project for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And what that entails is during the Memorial Weekend in October, um, when all of the 
families of the fallen come to uh, Emmitsburg, um, before they go down to Emmitsburg, they're actually housed up in Gettysburg um, <clears throat> and uh, open to a lot of resources and services and things of that nature before they actually go to the memorial. And during that phase of the weekend, uh, myself and an entire team of people um, interview uh, the families, the survivors of fallen firefighters. And um, I, I bluntly and honestly share that I consider it the greatest honor I have ever been given in my fire service career that I was the one chosen to be their storyteller. Mm. And uh, to give you perspective, of course, the memorial did not happen in person this, this past year due to COVID, but you know, the previous year um, I interviewed um, 26 families, upwards of 60 people in about 14 hours. Wow, that's intense. It's extremely intense. And uh, Lori, my wife, uh, you know, when I come home from those weekends, she says, you're like a sponge that needs to be wrung out. Mm. And uh, she is, um, uh, you know, wise in her ways and she knows to give me the time and the space um, and, the, and the peace to be able to, to do that. But that's really what caused me to coin that phrase about we're not guaranteed of much, but the opportunity to encounter someone else every single day who's having a much worse day than we are. And, and I just see the faith in the family and the courage in those people in those people and their stories. And um, I, the very last thing I tell them before I ask them the first question is, I remind them that we're there to talk about not how their firefighter was lost, but most importantly, how they lived. Right. Um, because, because those are the most important stories. And, and I, I won't lie. I, I, I tell them that, you know, in part for their own protection, but also in part for my protection too. But it is, uh, you know, it's, it's physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting and uh, enlightening and rewarding in so many ways. Uh, just an unbelievable experience that I've been given um, that I still can't figure out how I was or why I was chosen, but it's a gift I've been given. That's awesome. So in your decades of service in the fire service, is there a, a particular uh, moment or person that, uh, that you remember greatly impacted you and, and what was it about or what was that person all about? That's, that's a tough one that I hadn't thought of. Um, I, I certainly have to point to my mentor, Jim Gennetti. Um, <clears throat> Jim was... Um, uh, chief of our volunteer fire company, uh, when myself and uh, two other young boys in the neighborhood were growing up. Um, and every time the uh, siren would go off, we'd run to the end of the street and he would pick us up and take us on calls. Oh, wow. And um, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood where we had 21 kids across three households. <laughs> and uh, I'm the youngest of eight. Uh, Lattimore's had nine kids and uh, the Milks family, I always referred to them as the poor family because they only had four kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but that was okay because we lent them kids all the time. Yeah, I bet. And um, so, and I, and I tell the funny part of it is that uh, um, he would pick us up and take us on calls, but he only had room for two of the three of us uh, in the bench seat of his pickup truck. And uh, my disadvantage was I'd live the furthest away. You had to fight for that spot. 
<laughs> I did. I did. Um, but uh, my my best friend, John Lattimore, he hadn't lost his baby fat yet, so I could outrun him. <laughs> and uh, my other best friend, Doug Milks, as he tells you, uh, he's Ojibwa Indian. So as he says, he's on Indian time all the time uh, <laughs> and doesn't do anything fast. So it was always usually me and one of the other two. But uh, uh, so we kept doing this and, and I never under got a straight answer. But over time, we went to so many calls and started doing so much that either for our protection or theirs, they actually created junior firefighters. And I was my department's first ever junior firefighter. No, oh, cool. Yeah. And um, something I'll, I'll brag about is that we've identified recently that um, for, the, for, for the past 29 years, at least one, and quite often all three of our chiefs, started as explorers or junior firefighters in our fire department. Wow. And that's that trajectory, you know, beginning like that and becoming the chief. That's pretty awesome. Right. Right. And our current chief who's 28 years old is exactly that. And, uh, and what's great about that is I have photos of him every step along the way. And, uh, uh we shared those last year when he was elected to that position. And he's, uh, he, he's, um, uh, uh great firefighter and a uh, good leader and a, and a lifelong uh, learner. So he's got, uh, he's headed in the right direction that way. But, but Jim Gennetti has um, always been that guy that I, you know, went to and uh, asked for advice. And, um, you know, he's also during the low points in my, you know, whether it was in my career in the fire service or, you know, in the volunteer fire service was always the one to um, lift me up and, um, uh, sometimes simply drag me along. Uh, and he's got 54 years of service in our fire department. Amazing. So, Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And whenever I jump in the, in the seat next to him, cause he's our primary driver, he says, uh, how you doing kid? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So if you, if you had to go back and do it all over again, what advice would you give yourself as a rookie? And what are some of the key lessons you've learned throughout your career that you'd like to pass on to current firefighters? Um, first and foremost, again, <clears throat> remember that it's not about you. Um, take it all in every minute, every moment. Um, take it slow. Uh, don't be in a rush to get to the next step. Um, you know, uh, enjoy the space you're in at the moment. Um, and um, beyond that, um, look outside your engine room doors, mm -hmm. look outside, look outside the station, look outside the apparatus base, open yourself, make yourself available to the wide world of the fire service. And, um, you know, I have been blessed with just, uh, unbelievable opportunities that have turned into just remarkable experiences traveled, you know, the United States and Canada. Um, you know, my first year of retirement, I, I spent, I slept in 34 different firehouses around the country. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, in my travels and being able to teach and speak and uh, uh, consult with people and things of that nature. Um, but open yourself up to all that it has to offer. Um, remember this one thing, it's all about the network. It really is. Uh, and, and I'm in a, uh, again, a, 
uh, privileged position to be able to help so many people. And I talk, it's something I talk about in my Xbox class that, you know, some people may not even know, but you're limited to just 5,000 friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but there's so I, many more. <laughs> that's right. Right. Um, I currently have, you know, something like 4,980. Uh, and I've gone to and over that 5,000 mark, you know, often. Um, but, uh, and I'll, you know, half jokingly admit that I personally have known and met well over 17 of them. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I refer to that as my network for good. And, and again, I'm in a privileged position where I have access to, I know a lot of people who have access to a lot of resources. And every single day I have a lot of people who come to me in need of resources and I take no greater satisfaction than, uh, being able to do what I call connect the dots. And that is connect the people in need of resources with people who have access to them. And even I am amazed at the power of the network. It's helped people get jobs. It's helped people get on the right path. Uh, it's helped people um, better themselves and better others. And uh, those are my proudest moments because um, you get to a point in your career where you realize that um, your, your greatest reward uh, comes solely from helping others. And um, I'm uh, big on and own the website trainyourreplacement.com um, because it took me too long into my career to realize I've only ever had one job in the first place. Mm. But I'm convinced the earlier and more often we can instill that train your replacement attitude, the longer, more successful and enjoyable careers will all, will all benefit from well, that's so true. Well, I can't thank you enough for your your service uh, to the fire service. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing all your wisdom and experience. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, let all the listeners know how they can connect with you on social media, email, websites, whatever, hit them with it. Sure. Uh, it's a laundry list. Um, uh, I have uh, as many websites as I do personalities, I think. But uh, <laughs> um so tigerschmittendorf.com is kind of my flagship uh, website where it's my uh, my long form uh, writing, which I find very therapeutic. Uh, trainyourreplacement.com is just a placeholder for kind of that theory. Uh, firerecruiter.com is a free resource, a clearinghouse for everything related to volunteer recruitment and retention. Um, soldierfirefighter.com is all about connecting veterans and the volunteer fire service, something I'm also very, very passionate about. Uh, and then certainly firstarriving.com, where uh, I'm so blessed with this opportunity to, um, uh, one, work with my friends, uh, my business partners, Dave Iannone, Chris Ebert. Um, I've known them since they created firehouse.com over 20 years ago, and, and they've dragged me along for every venture and adventure they've ever had, uh, which I cherish as well. Uh, but uh, with this opportunity, I just simply get to help so many more people on such a larger scale and a, uh, a whole new level. And that gives me, you know, tremendous pride and, and satisfaction. So, um, so that's it. And, and there's a social media channel for uh, each of them. Uh, I manage a dozen Facebook pages and, uh, you know, Twitter feeds and Instagram accounts and stuff like that. So, so thank you for that. I can't keep up with you. I thought I had a lot going on. But <laughs> I got to aspire to your level. No, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And to everyone out there listening, stay fit, stay safe. And remember when lives depend on us, success is our only option. 
Thanks for listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Go to firefightersuccessbook.com to learn more about the book, Firefighter Success, 20 C's to Firefighter Excellence. At the website, you can also download the free special report, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success.